But let me pray for Rachel and we'll get started this morning. Do you want me to move this? You probably don't need that. (laughs) All right. Lord, thank you so much for our sister, Rachel. Thank you for the the time and the the work that she's put into studying this passage. Lord, this difficult passage, we've been studying some really hard um, passages, some hard seasons of David's life. And um, God, we just need your help to understand uh, what you have for us this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, that is working through Rachel, that's opening our eyes and ears to what we need to understand. Uh, we also pray that you would be working in the kids downstairs in their classes and uh, keeping the uh, sound tech up and running, uh, the recording going well. Lord, there's just so many things that uh, we need you for this morning. So thanks for this time that we can rest in your presence. We can rest in your word. And I pray that Rachel would feel that rest as well as she teaches us this morning, that she would um, share with us what you've given to her, Lord. And and Lord, we trust you to use it uh, in each of our lives uniquely in the ways that you know that we need it. So thanks for her. Thanks for uh, our time together. And we commit all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. All right. So um, last week we left off with chapter 13, um, where we learned that Absalom tricks his father, David, into allowing his brothers to attend a sheep shearing party with him. There he murders his brother, Amnon, because of his sexual sin against their sister, Tamar. Absalom flees to Geshur, where his maternal grandfather, Talmai is the king, and he stays there for three years. The text in chapter uh, 13, verse 39 says, the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. And chapter 14, we begin with, now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. So when I first read this, I wanted to understand, based on the context of this chapter, what did these two verses mean? Did it mean that um, David was really missing his son? Or did it mean something different? Perhaps he was indifferent towards his son. The Hebrew word here used is kalah. And in Dale Ralph Davis's commentary on 2 Samuel, he explains that this word means to come to an end or to be used up. That perhaps this longing for Absalom may not have been positive feelings of longing, but simply David was thinking about his son, but his heart remained hostile towards him and at best indifferent. As we continue to read chapter 14, we see David's ill feelings towards Absalom are likely to be true. With Amnon now dead, the heir to the throne would most likely be Absalom's. So while David is reluctant to uh, reconcile with Absalom, as we see later in the story, he's still thinking about him and perhaps the future of Israel. Joab, who is the king's commander, also knows that the king is thinking about Absalom. Perhaps Joab now feels that things need to be dealt with. It's been too long. So he hires a Tekoan woman to try to convince the king to further action. Some commentators think that perhaps Joab thought Absalom would be the next heir to the throne. And maybe he was securing his own relationship with Absalom 
Whichever the reason, Joab proceeds to take a similar approach to Nathan back in chapter 12. They bring a case to the king for his judgment and then turn the king's judgment back on himself. Except in this chapter, there's no mention of God. Neither Joab nor David consult with God in this decision. In chapter 12, Nathan causes David to reflect on his own conscience. But here in chapter 14, the concocted story is used to coerce David into making a judgment. Let's turn to verses 2 to 7. It reads, And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid a homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow, my husband is dead, and your servant had two sons. And they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them. One struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant. And they say, give up the man who has struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the heir also. Thus, they would quench my coal that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. So here, David is presented with a made-up story that he now has to give a judgment. This concocted story is similar to the first murder we read in the Bible between Cain and Abel. Two brothers are in a field, one kills the other, and mercy is now being sought for the one who committed the murder. Joab and the Tekoan woman, knowing that David is knowledgeable of the Torah, that David would likely use this authoritative guide to make his judgment. God, who spared Cain, might surely influence David to do the same. However, if we look closely, these two stories are not parallel. As in the Tekoan woman story and in the story of Cain and Abel, there were two men in a field who got into a fight. One struck the other and the other died. These were not premeditated murders. This was manslaughter which in Jewish law, the murderer can receive mercy. However, Absalom plans the murder of Amnon, and here the law requires death. Exodus 21, 12 to 14 reads, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he, he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another man, to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar, that he may die. As we read the story of how Amnon rapes Tamar, and Absalom seems to be the only one who cares and wants to defend her, I do feel a bit of sympathy towards him. He committed murder for the sake of his sister. However, as I've read, some commentators feel that his intentions are not so clear. Perhaps he took this opportunity to secure the throne for himself. And as we continue to read through 2 Samuel, we will see that Absalom's intentions are not so pure and selfless. 
We don't know Absalom's intentions, but we do know that justice did not belong to him. It was David's duty as the king to deal with Amnon. And so let's continue to read our text to see what David declares. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, on me be the guilt, my lord, the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, if anyone says anything to you, bring him to me and he shall never touch you again. Then she said, please let the king invoke the Lord, your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more and my son be not destroyed. He said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So the king pronounces protection for the son and tells the woman to go on her way. And if anyone comes to her for her son to send them to him. But the woman isn't finished. She wants David to say more. So here she uses the term, the avenger of blood. She chose this term so that when she turns this judgment back on David, he is the avenger of blood. He is the one who would seek after Absalom to avenge for the, de for the death of Amnon. And so finally, when the Tekoan woman is satisfied with the judgment that David pronounces, she daringly speaks, asks to speak again. And she turns the script on David. Verse 12 to 17 reads, please let your servant speak a word to my, to my Lord, the king. He said, speak. And the woman said, why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself. Inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again, we must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his, of his servant. For the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, the word of my lord, the king will set me at rest for my lord, the king is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. The Lord, your God, be with you. The woman is crafty in pleading with David. She, she asks him, why did you plan this against God's people? By giving this decision, the king convicts himself if he does not bring the banished one home. She says that we must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which can't be gathered up again. But God doesn't take away life. He devises means so that the one who's banished doesn't remain an outcast. She's saying Absalom is already dead. So let bygones be bygones. What's already done is done. Amnon is already dead. Um, Amnon is already dead. So let bygones be bygones. What's done is already done. But by banishing Absalom, David is denying Israel the next heir to the throne, the continuation of the Davidic kingship. She says, we all die, but God makes a way for those who are outcasted so that they can return home and be redeemed. She's pleading with David's conscience, 
Perhaps he remembers how the Lord spared his own life after he took Bathsheba and plotted the murder of Uriah. But before David thinks she's intentionally coming to address his case, she lightens up and says, people have come to her, so she's merely representing the people and reminds him how he was so gracious to protect her and her son. But by now, David finds this Tekoan woman's story a bit suspicious. So he asks in verse 18, don't hide anything for anything I ask you. And the woman said, let my Lord, the king speak. The king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? The woman answered and said, as surely as you live, my Lord, the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that the Lord, that my Lord, the king has said. It was your servant, Joab, who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in my mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my Lord has wisdom like the wisdom of angel of God to know all things that are on earth. The Tekoan woman finally reveals the truth behind her story that Joab was orchestrating this from behind. She uses flattering words to hopefully lessen his, the king's potential anger into being tricked into action to bring Absalom home. And verses 20, 21 says, Then the king said to Joab, Behold, I grant this, go, bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord the king, in that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Joab, so Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Joab is probably relieved that his plan worked. The king doesn't seem to show him any anger. Um, doesn't show, seem to show anger towards the manipulative plan. The king had to act, but he doesn't do it willingly. So he commands Joab to bring Absalom home, but decrees that Absalom is not to come into his presence. Similar to God removing Adam and Eve from his presence after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God allowed them to live, but they were cast out of the garden and cursed. God needed to be separate from sinners. David being coerced into a judgment does the bare minimum to satisfy Joab, but he remembers that Absalom killed Amnon and justice has not yet been paid. Verses 25 to 27 reads, Now in all Israel, there is no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there, is, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, he weighed the hair of his head, 200 shekels by the king's weight. There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. Readers, beware. When we, we, when we read only about the beautiful outward appearance of a person in the Bible, it, must, it almost always leads to de destruction. 
Here, Absalom is praised for his good looks, his luscious locks, and his growing family. Similarly to Saul, Absalom might look like a handsome future king, but later texts will tell us that this might lead to his demise. Absalom is allowed to return home, but he isn't allowed to come into David's presence. His rights as the king's son is not fully restored. For two years, Absalom deals with the half-hearted reconciliation, and he stays in his own house. But soon, his patience wears thin. And after trying to get Joab's attention without any success, he burns Joab's barley fields. And as he presumes, that gets Joab's attention. Verse 32 reads, Absalom said to Joab, look, I sent word to you and said, come here so I can send you to the king and ask, why have I come from Gesher? It would be better for me if I was still there. Now then, I want to see the king's face. And if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. Absalom is not satisfied with being physically home without having his relationship with his father fully restored. So he gives an ultimatum, restore me or put me to death. Absalom feels pretty confident that his father would restore him. If David was going to put Absalom to death, he probably would have done that by now. Faced with this ultimatum, David chooses forgiveness. He kisses Absalom, which symbolizes his full restoration into David's family. But nothing else is said about this encounter. The way in which Absalom forces himself into, into David's presence is a foreshadowing to his future plans. Absalom waited patiently for two years to murder Amnon. Then he waited five more years to be restored. Absalom is a calculated man who has big plans for himself. So where do we go from here? A murderous son is reluctantly welcomed home through, through manipulation and coercion. King David failed in his duty to protect his daughter and did not punish his son Amnon for committing sexual sin against her. Absalom takes matters into his own hands and murders his brother. He enters a self-imposed exile, then ultimately a forced restoration. Absalom does not show any signs of repentance. He brazenly demands full restoration or death if any guilt is found, on, found in him. He's guilty of murder, but he does not make any mention of it when he demands to be restored. If we take a look at a different story of restoration in Luke 15, the story that we might be familiar with, the prodigal son who is restored. In this story, the story of the prodigal son, the son who has left his father's house, demanding his inheritance, returns home with repentance and humility. The father receives him with open arms and celebrates. Unfortunately, this is not the story of David and Absalom. It's an awful story of shame, guilt, vengeance, and a half-hearted reconciliation. And God isn't mentioned in any of it. Who are we like in this story? The indecisive father or the vengeful brother? Like David, we might fail to act when we are supposed to act. And instead, we might react when push comes to shove. 
We might give mercy when justice is called for. And like David, sin blurs our ability to make good decisions. Or like Absalom, we might harbor hatred in our hearts. We might demand what's rightfully ours at the expense of others. And we might lack a repentant heart when, confront when, when confronted with our own sin. The Lord reminds us that there is a due process for justice. And while we might want to act quickly to obtain justice that is just in our eyes, the Lord calls us to wait and to trust in his process that he has established because justice belongs to the Lord. The Lord instead desires a repentant heart and, reconcili and reconciliation. As we've seen in recent chapters we've studied in 2 Samuel, sin is costly and the forgiveness of sin is more costly. The pain and suffering that one needs to absorb in order for, for forgiveness to be given. But this is exactly what we find in Christ. The one who knows us in our suffering, the one who faced slander and false assumptions, the one who has every right to exact justice, but instead absorbs our sin. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when we receive his forgiveness, we are called to manipulate and scheme no more. Instead, we are called into obedience. Like Absalom, we were once cast out. We've committed sins against God. But as the crafty Tekoan woman uses the Lord's words for her own gain, the Lord seeks to bring us to him instead of banishing us. Jesus, who is our ultimate king, fulfills what David couldn't. And when he calls us to himself, we are received fully through repentance and faith in Christ who takes on our sin. Unlike the half-hearted restoration between Absalom and David, we have a king who is approachable through Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a merciful and just God. That the stories of David and Absalom remind us of our own sin and how costly it is for you to forgive us. Thank you for Jesus and the patience that you showed towards us. Lord, would you, um, would you convict our hearts and would that uh, draw us closer to you? Would you bless the conversations this morning, Lord? And with um, all this work for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.